Galatians chapter 5 now. And this morning, I'd like to read this chapter. It's not too long, but it's very necessary. And uh, I want to talk about a relationship reset. Now, I've said some weeks back that no real, and I emphasize the word real, okay? No real relationship is without conflict, okay? So if your ideal of a perfect marriage is going to be a marriage where there would never be conflict, uh, you're still stuck on cartoons and fairy tales because there's no such thing. Any real relationship will have some conflicts. That's not the conflicts that are the problem. It'll be how they are resolved. And a lot of people do not know how to resolve conflicts even in an adult way or what we call in our corporate behavior. I mean, look at what's going on around us in the world. Uh, somebody thinks they've been done an injustice or somebody steps in front of somebody in a line or somebody gets the wrong hamburger order. All of a sudden they go all ballistic. That is not a way that you handle a simple little conflict. But that's how we've been trained or that's how we've... Uh, uh, <clears throat> what do you want to use the word evolve? That's how we've evolved. Uh, I don't believe in evolution. I'm, I'm using a world's terminology because they think mankind is evolving and getting better. And I got news for you. The farther you get without God, the worse you're going to get. And you're going to act more like animals than humans. And so you need to learn how to resolve your conflicts. That is something that must be taught. And I see here on a relationship reset, every once in a while, uh, you will find that you'll have to reset your relationship. And I have chosen to preach this to the men because of what the Bible says. Remember, we're Bible believers. And the Bible says over here in Peter, let me get to it because I didn't write it down, but I know about where it's at. And uh, he says here in Peter, Chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, and we're dealing with the husbands in the month of June, on the husband's responsibility in the relationship. And he says, Ye husbands, you dwell with them according to knowledge. That means, husbands, you should know something about your wife and what makes her tick. Uh, you've seen me use this verse of Scripture that, your husbands, you should be very familiar with your fi wife's five love languages. Every human being has five love languages. You should know her primary love language and her secondary love language. Uh, every individual, every human being has what we call emotional needs that must be met. Most of the time when children begin to act out in the home, it'll be because their emotional needs are not being met. It is also important, fathers, that you would know the love language of your children. How do they respond? Do they like gifts? Do they like words of affirmation? Do they like acts of service? Do they like quality time? Some children love quality time. Other children love quality time, but they want to do something with you. Uh, I know a number of the children's love languages here in the church, especially the ones that we watch and we take care of, we spend more time with. And primarily, those two children, their love languages is quality time. That's their number one love language. 
And so now they're different because one just wants quality time with you there, paying attention to them. The other one wants to do activities with you during that time. But you should know your children's love language. You should, should know your spouse's love language. Now here is a portion of scripture in the book of Galatians, here in this Galatian church, that they had fallen from grace. Now, it didn't mean they had lost their salvation. They had started well, but they needed a relationship reset with God. Someone had influenced them to go astray. And so there was an outside influence that had begun to corrupt their relationship with Christ. And that can happen in sometimes, uh, oftentimes, you'll have to do a relationship reset in your spiritual walk with the Lord. So this message will do double duty, but it's primarily for married couples to the men on how to do a relationship reset in your home. Now, I don't mean a hard reset. My thinking on that is what do we do when our computers or smartphones malfunction? What is the first thing we do when, when, when they freeze up or something doesn't go right? We restart them, right? We do a reset. That's correct. Now, we don't do a hard reset. Uh, like back in the old days, you'd have to do a hard reset, which means reinstall Windows, and you lose everything if you didn't have anything backed up. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a what we call, or what I would call, a soft reset. Let's read some scripture. He said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. There's that phrase. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. He said you started out well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not out of him that calleth you, meaning that you didn't get this ideal from God. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that ye were or they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have, not been called on, ye have been called unto liberty, only used not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a principle you'll find in the Bible. But here's another verse. This was what began to spark my thoughts on a relationship reset. This will apply to churches, but it, it also applies to homes. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one another. He's talking about Christian 
cannibalism in the church. And oh boy, if you've ever been part of a church trouble or church split, you'll find out real quick uh, about church cannibalism. Now, uh, having experienced some of that stuff, let me tell you, everybody that calls themselves a Christian is not a Christian. There's the devil's crew also. And the devil does bite and devour. That's what the Bible calls him. Says he's a devourer. He's a destroyer. And when you got someone that comes in to try to destroy or devour, it's straight up demonic. But in relationships, every once in a while, uh, even good Christians, just like spouses, if you spend any time together at all, and I'm talking maybe more than five years, ten years, there'll be little things that will begin to annoy you. <laughs> yeah, you know, you thought I was going, you know, nah, but I won't. Because you're perfect, sweetheart. You're perfect, Jenny. Jenny's perfect in every way. And so, because I got lunch to get to, and I don't want my rations cut. But you know what I'm talking about. There'll be little things that your spouse will do that will annoy you. And let me tell you something. You're being warned. If you allow that thing to begin to make you bite and devour on one another, you'll destroy each other. Happens in churches. Happens is it happens in marriages and in relationships in general. Now let's read on. This I say then. So then he's going to give us our problem, what it's creating, and now he's beginning into the remedy section of this chapter. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh it lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery. <clears throat> and again, if you've got any one of these things working in your life or in your marriage, you're definitely in the flesh. You're in a very big danger zone. Uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Now remember, witchcraft is rebellion. Variance, emulations, wrath, and strife, and seditions, and heresies, envies, and murderers, and drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> Here's the side effects of walking in the Spirit. is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Let us pray this morning and let's get to the message on what I have entitled A Relationship Reset. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now for today. Lord, bless those that have come. Bless the others that maybe couldn't be here because they've been hindered providentially. And we understand that. Be with those that are sick and under the weather. Lord, uh, uh, be with us this week and be with our nation, our country, and our leaders. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. From time to time in your marriage, you will have to perform what I call a relationship reset. 
And of course, as I've already shared with you, I believe it to be the husband's responsibility as the leader, as the head in the home, when things are not at 100% and what they should be, it will be his responsibility to get those things righted. Men have been given the responsibility of this leadership in the home, and part of Leadership is being proactive. So many times we are reactive. And if I can give you a little advice in child rearing and discipline, stop being reactive. Be proactive. And that means spot the problem before it actually happens. So many times we as parents, we, and and now I'm on parenting, I, I wanted to preach a message on children also and get them involved into this. But we, we wait until after the fact, and then we can't figure out how it went wrong when it went wrong in the spirit and the child's posture. And I wanted to preach a message to children and for you parents on their posture is wrong. Posture is very important. How they stand. And a lot of times you can tell a lot about an individual because their posture is wrong. You can also tell a lot about a marriage and relationships because your posture can be wrong between each other. So it's a very important uh, lesson. We need to be proactive. That means we need to make the first move. I call this, this is part of wearing the big daddy pants. Everybody wants to be the boss. And as my father, my pappy used to say, Uh, We've got too many chiefs around here, not enough Indians. Uh, All of us kids wanted to be boss, you know. Uh, And so we wanted to, mom was a boss, dad's a boss. And all of a sudden I wanted to be boss. And then my sister, she wanted to be boss. And if everybody's a chief, you don't have no Indians. Nobody's going to get the work done. And so dad had to do that reset with us children. There's only two bosses here, uh, I and your mother, uh, you all are the little Indians. And so we'd run and play like little Indians, you know. But uh, 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 even when we watch little Kinsley and little Sydney, uh, more so with Kinsley, she wants to be a boss. And I have to remind her from time to time, they said, no, I'm the boss. She said, well, what's Jenny? I said, well, Jenny's the big boss. And then I'm the second boss. And she said, and what am I? I said, you're the third boss. I said, if, every, if, if I'm gone and Jenny's gone or something happens, then you would be left, you would be a boss all by yourself. Like, oh, okay, she's a boss. But I have to remind her of the relationship that she's not a boss if Jenny's there. She's the big boss. And then I'm, I'm a boss. And, of course, we, we laugh about that. And Kinsley gets a big kick because pastor is not the boss, you know. Uh, somebody's over the pastor and tells him what to do. And I, Yeah, they do when it comes to dinner. <laughs> Once I get fed, then I'm, I, I'm, I got to be boss, you know. But you got to remind that, and that's part of wearing what I call wearing the big daddy pants. Everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants the privileges of being the head of the household. But part of that comes what I call responsibility. And men, you've been given great responsibility. And again, let me give you a couple of points on what leads to a relationship failure. What leads to a relationship failure? Failure. If you was to look with me at verse 4, he says they had fallen from grace. 
So the first point under what has caused this relationship failure between my wife and I, like this church, they had found themselves into a relationship failure between them and God, Christ Jesus, no grace. Grace. Your cup of grace, men and ladies, is empty. So many times people, they operate their lives not from their overflow. And if you're going to be successful in ministry, let me give a tidbit for ministry and making it. If you want to make it to the end of harvest, that means when Christ blows the trumpet and you're in ministry, you're going to have to learn how to minister from your overflow. A lot of preachers get burnt out because they're not ministering from their overflow. They're ministering from what little is in their cup. And let me tell you something. When the cup is empty, you're in a danger zone. It's kind of like how ladies, men, let me explain it to you like this. Every time you get into her car, it'll always be on E. Gas light is on and you're like, what? What? When our gas tank gets to half a tank, I say, find me a gas station. We could be on the interstate. I don't care. The little smart computer says you got 200 more miles to go. Nah, it's time to fill up. I need a break. We got to top that engine off. But a woman, gas light's been on. Yeah, honey, just drive my car. Oh, it'll get you there in the storm back. You get in, you get halfway there, and it starts, and you're looking down, and it's been on E. She has not been driving the vehicle on the overflow. And Jenny doesn't do that, by the way. She wastes she She's smarter than that. She gets it, waste it, gets it down a little, a little below half because she knows how I am. Jenny is, is really great about lowering my anxiety. She knows if I was to get in that van and it's below a quarter of a tank, I can, I can, I can hear the electric fuel pump frying in the gas tank. Those things are cooled by the fuel that's in there. Don't run them down past a quarter of a tank. Stop operating on a quarter of a tank. Your grace cup is empty. Christ is to be your primary relationship. Men, let me help you. Your primary relationship responsibility is between you and God. Now, after Christ, after that relationship's been taken care of in the morning, then it's your wife. So, oh, no, I thought it'd be kids. It'd be work. Uh, well, that could be why you're having some issues. Your primary relationship responsibility is one to between you and God. That means your daily devotion should be done. That means your daily prayer life there first, and then it's your wife. You should be looking out to the, her needs and what she needs to fulfill her duties for that day. That includes what does she need physically, what does she need emotionally. That's her love tank. And what does she need help with? While you're also preparing and going to work to be the provider. But you've got to spend time with Christ. And here's why. If you're not walking in love, and that's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. If you're not walking in love, that means you're not following Christ. And that means Christ 
The giver of grace is not rubbing off on you. The more time you spend in prayer, the more time you spend in this book, it, you cannot help but have grace, God's grace, rub off on you and fill your cup. And you need to fill it up and God will fill it up to overflowing so that you can minister grace to others. And when you see that you need a relationship reset, number one is you've fallen from grace. Your grace cup, the light's on, you're almost on empty, and it's beginning to cause you trouble. You're not managing your relationships from your overflow. As a pastor, I have to be able every week to take in a certain amount of new material. It doesn't mean that I can't get my old messages that I've preached in 2013, 2014, and 2015 and preach them again, and a lot of preachers do. That's why the average lifespan for a pastor is about two to five years because it takes about that long before you run out of material. And then instead of starting it over again or searching for something fresh and getting some fresh oil, they switch and swap churches. I've seen that happen so much down here in the 10 years I've been here. And that's what happens in relationships. You need to learn how to manage your ministry, manage your marriages from overflow. A relationship overflow, which I call the cup of grace. And when you spend time with God, He rubs off on you. Relationships, they burn out. People in ministry, they burn out. People at work, they burn out. Because they operate with the cup half full. That's what happens. And it's because you are neglecting your daily duties and you've fallen from grace. Number two, I find that people that have relationship failures, and I'm talking again with the marriages and dual duty, church, they're not obeying God's truth. Look with me in verse 7. He says, you did run well. It means it started out well. Don't marriage just start out well. You got that honeymoon love. The Bible calls that first love. And Oh, it's all good until she has to do the laundry. And all of a sudden, the honeymoon's over. She'll probably deny it or ignore it the first time it happens, maybe the second time, until she sees... The boogers that you've rubbed on the pillow. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh, yeah. I can see some of you ladies that that would have done it. That's like a honeymoon is over at night. Yes. Well, sometimes you get into relationship failure. Somebody, one or both people are not obeying God's truth. Verse 7, he says, you did run well. Who did? hinder you that you should not obey the truth that means the bible has been abandoned there is rules for the man's part in the relationship of marriage and there are rules for the lady's part the woman's part in marriage and if your marriage is on the rocks or you're in a rough patch one or both of you are not operating or playing by the rules one of the most frustrating things you'll ever experience in life is you sit down to try to play a board game and one or two people are not going to abide by the rules. It's not real fun, is it? Marriages are like that. 
There are rules that God has set down that he calls truth. They should not be abandoned. God's recipe, you've perverted it or discarded it like these people did here. And men, you say, well, how would I know this? Well, if you don't love your wife like your own flesh, you're not obeying the truth. That's what the Bible, he commanded the men, men, and I think he addressed it to the men because men are very selfish by nature. A woman has that nurturing side to her, so she's used to giving. She'll give and sacrifice, but not a man. It's rare. There are exceptions to the rule. I'm not one of them. I'm naturally selfish. Uh, that's typical men. And if you will not or are not loving your wife like your own flesh, you got a problem. If you're not cherishing and nourishing your wife, you're not obeying the truth. And if you're not providing spiritually and physically for your family, you're not obeying the truth. So that means the truth has been abandoned. Some husbands, uh, they're deadbeat husbands. They won't, uh, they won't provide for the family. Or they lay around in drunkenness. And the Bible says that's straight up somebody going to operate in the flesh. That's not good. You can't run a marriage if one of you is laying drunk up on the couch. It's not going to work. You're going to have a relationship failure. And a marriage, it takes two people pulling at 100% and God being in control. But I see when there's a relationship failure, there's a wrong mind. Verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. If you're having a relationship problem, you are thinking about marriage wrong. This influence has come from someone outside because he says, who did hinder you? I threw this in and I wrote it down because I figured I'd probably forget it by this morning. I'm amazed that people will let friends or the world or the devil to influence their thinking on marriage, but not the Bible. I'm also amazed that when people rebel or backslide, it's never closer to God. It's never closer to the Bible or closer to church. I've never had a person, like I said to the Sunday school class, get mad at me when I preach on tithing and tell you that a tithe in the Bible is 10%. And I've never had somebody come up to me and get mad and said, I don't care what you preach, preacher, I'm giving 50% of my income. Never had that happen. And that's why I call it grace giving. Because in the New Testament, the Old Testament was 10%. And the New Testament, it's 10% is the minimum up to 100%. And then you let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you in, anywhere in between them too. In the early church, they were given it all, 100%. And they were constantly every day in full-time ministry. But the rule has always been 10%. But people, I've never had somebody get mad and say, I'm giving 20% of my income, preacher. I don't care what you preach. When people rebel, it's never to get closer to God. Men, your divorced buddies at work cannot give you good marriage advice. I'll say it again. Men, your divorced buddies at work cannot give you good marriage advice. Ladies, your twice divorced girlfriends at work cannot give you good marriage advice. 
And in today's time, it's three times and four times over. They're not going to give you good marriage advice. It'd be like me giving you diet advice. That's right. And that's what you should do at work when you got your twice divorced girlfriend trying to give you marriage advice is laugh. So I don't really think you know a whole lot about it because you can't keep it together. There is no real relationship that is without conflict. I don't want to hear how you blew up in your conflict when he just didn't get up and call you beautiful Monday morning. I've had people, I've counseled people, they divorced their husband because he didn't get up seven days a week and say she was beautiful first thing in the morning. That was their only reason. I know it's, it's funny, ain't it? But it's the truth. That's why sometimes I just shake my head. Smile away, boy. Smile away. Not going to be able to help this one. But your girlfriends, you know, they're not going to be able to help you. Your relationship is failing because you got the wrong mind about it. Your relationship is failing because you have selfish endeavors. Verse 13. For brethren... You've been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. If I heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. A person, a man, a woman, they leave home. They get married and they say, I can do what I want. Ain't nobody going to tell me nothing. <laughs> I think they've wrote a song about that now. I've not listened to the whole thing. But that's about right. Nobody can tell you nothing. And you've got selfish endeavors You've been called to liberty, but not to use that liberty for yourself. There's no I in the word team or the word couple. It's not all about you. Men, after God, it's about your wife. It shouldn't be your buddy at work. It shouldn't be your buddy that you're texting before you go to work. See what kind of a day you're going to have if you've not had a conversation with your wife yet. Loving yourself is not a mark of a godly person. You'll hear people say this. Well, I can't love my wife as myself until I can love myself. I'm just going to throw this in there. I don't do it often. But I sit and listened to a false preacher, Joyce Myers, Preach about 15 minutes is all I could stand on how you got to love yourself before you can love others. Let me tell you straight up, that is not Bible. That did not come from the God. And, and the, he says one of the marks of, a, of the end times evil men is that they are lovers of their own selves. Nowhere in this Bible does God teach you before you can love others, you got to love yourself. That is wrong. That is demonic. And you got that free. It's free. Every once in a while, a false prophet like a wolf's got to be pointed out. You don't love yourself better to love your wife better. You don't use your liberty for yourself. You use it to serve her. Because he says, but by love serve one another. So your liberty, your ability to do whatever you want, no matter what your dad or mom says, means you need to do more for your spouse. I know, ladies, and I'm supposed to be preaching on men. I'll get to them in a second. Ladies, he's done something wrong, so you run right to mama. And of course, mama's going to defend. I'm learning that about southern ladies. 
They can talk bad about their kids and grandkids, but nobody else. And so mama is going to stand up for her little girl and that mean, nasty, hairy, booger-rubbing man is no good. <laughs> oh, oh my. Let me tell you something. Your liberty is not to run off to your mama or to your daddy. Men, men do it too. Well, you just don't know, Dad. <laughs> She's a monster. She's a monster. She wouldn't let me put syrup on my pancakes and I was too fat. I got too much sugar in my diet. She gave me something. Oh, she's terrible. And then, dad, of course, they didn't fly with my dad. Dad just wasn't, he just wasn't on that wavelength. My mom, ah, tough it up. You know, tough up, boy. You know, but most men, they run to their daddies and like, oh, you just don't know. And of course, daddy's going to take up for the son. There's nobody as good and as nice as him. Right, right. Right. Nah. Your liberty is to do more for your spouse. Just like in church, everybody talks about that liberty. I can do what I want. No, your liberty is to be used to serve one another with. And see, that's five points there on a relationship failing. Now let's get into the reset. Verse 14. Here has to be your motive and your relationship as I hurry on. Verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That includes your wife. <laughs> That's your closest neighbor. Amen. <laughs> Most people, spouses, won't even feed their spouse. They want something to eat. Go get it yourself. You got legs, don't you? Like my soul. <sighs> and vice versa, you know. And I'm not talking about slaving for one another, but my soul. Love each other. That's the rule. It should be your motive. If your motive is not love, what kind of love? Christ-like love. Sacrificial love. A suffering love. Oh, this brings you back into balance. You've got to readjust your thinking, which is your motive, your spirit, to love. If you and your spouse are one flesh and you're not loving her like you do yourself, you're out of balance. How do I know you're out of balance? Well, how many men love donuts? Yeah. How many men go to Dunkin' Donuts? Get yourself and treat yourself to maybe a donut afternoon snack. Let me, yeah, y'all don't want to play along. <laughs> All right, I guess you know where I'm going. If the first person you think of when you get to ordering donuts is you and what donut you like, you could be out of balance. I said maybe, because I do it and I'm not out of balance, no. Seriously, I always think about my order first. I want cake donuts. Don't give me the plain ones. I want the ones with the icing all over them, the buttermilk, cream, whatever. I don't care. Just make sure they're not plain. And if I do happen to get plain, I'm dipping them in coffee. 
you should be thinking about your spouse and what she wants first. Your love could be out of balance. Your motive is wrong. You need to walk in the Spirit. That's action. Not body, soul, and spirit, but spirit, soul, and body. You would find that in that order in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The Bible is clear to tell you spirit, soul, and body. Here's why. The spirit should dictate to the soul, which is the seat of emotions, and then the soul tells the flesh what to do. But today, we have it wrong. Our flesh is running the show. And our flesh tells our emotions how it should respond. And then our emotions are telling our spirit what kind of spirit they should have. And that's totally backwards according to the Word of God and a spirit-filled Christians. The Holy Spirit should be driving our emotions. And those emotions should then drive the right behavior. If you have the wrong behavior, you've got the wrong emotions emotion and you're using the wrong spirit that's why he told you when you begin to exhibit wrath and anger and adultery and fornicated affairs and revelings and 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 idolatry and witchcraft that's operating in the wrong spirit that has no place in a marriage you got to reset that you reset it through love the right love You're going to have to crucify your flesh, according to verse 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That means you're going to have to deny yourself, and there's nothing in it for you, and you are willing to suffer for others. That means if you only have enough money for one Big Mac, it should be your spouse's. Yeah. Or what she wants, and you can do without. That's rough preaching for me. That's about where I at. Food, I respond to food. Food. High value on food. I don't want to think about anybody. If I only got enough five bucks for food, I'm going to take care. I'm going to find a way to get that double cheeseburger meal. If I can get one, she can get one. <laughs> but I get the bigger portion of fries. The first sip of the drink. We got to learn to crucify our flesh. This is how you reset that relationship. Men, you're going to have to live in the Spirit, verse 25. He says to live, to walk in the Spirit. Look here, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, that means you should live to walk in the Spirit and live within the commandments of God's Word. They are your guardrails. He said live in the Spirit. I in means held within boundaries. Water is in this plastic bottle. Did you get it? That's why it didn't say live on the Spirit. Oh, I'm just going to live on love a little while. Let's live on the Spirit. No, he said live in the Spirit. That means you are bound within the guidelines of holiness and righteousness and self-denial. I'm talking about relationship resets. Be filled with the Spirit is to live in the Spirit. Now, in the conclusions... Say, okay, preacher, you've convinced me I do need a relationship reset. <laughs> what do I do? Well, sometimes, here's, you got some baby steps. This is what you do immediately. Today is a new day, so you're looking for a fresh start right now. Right now. Don't worry about the past. 
of the failures in the past. You're having relationship problems. Then right now, begin to look at a fresh start. Today is a new day. Grace is an amazing gift. Grace is an amazing gift. Begin to get closer to Christ to get your cup filled with God's grace. You're going to need some. Spend time with God so he can rub off. Number two, you're going to need vision. So you need a fresh start. You need vision. Look with fresh eyes at your relationship. But truly see your spouse and their needs. Men, truly see your spouse and her needs. And learn to spot opportunities to show love. You're the leader. You've got to be proactive in this. A woman is a responder. As I said, 80% of all marriage problems can be laid at the feet of the men. Men, you're to be proactive. You need to have the right kind of vision that is looking for opportunities to show love. Verse 3, or point 3, experimentation. Try something new. Be creative. If you keep doing the same thing you've been doing, but you're expecting a different result, you've got other issues, which generally start with crazy. Okay? So you're going to have to think outside the box in your comfort zone. What I mean is every individual has five love languages. You need to begin to learn all five. Every human being will respond to all five love languages, but they generally have a primary and a secondary. But get creative. If your wife's primary love language is acts of service, get creative. Buy her a gift. That's one of the love languages, gifts. Maybe words of affirmation. Tell her that her cooking is good. Learned that lesson a long time ago. That cost me a meal. I forget what we were eating. I was home. <laughs> no, it wasn't chili. It was, it was something. And mom had cooked. She had slaved. She worked hard on it. And it just... 12-year-old kid. What's a 12-year-old kid know? Wasn't up to my Gordon Ramsay standards, which I didn't know who he was. And I said something. Yeah. My dad looked up at me. Oh, it was glassy. Give me that Phil look. There it is. I got it, Dad. You can leave. You don't like the cooking? You can do without a meal, kid. And I didn't move fast enough. I, dad looked at me and said, I wasn't kidding, kid. And up to my bedroom I went. And mommy didn't come up with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, honey, that poor mean evil beast. Ladies, mothers, get out of the way. Let the husbands do some discipline. You say, oh, that's cruel. It wasn't cruel. My tail feathers were a little too big at, that, at 12 years old. Dad's going to lean me out a little bit. Guess what? 
I don't care if it don't taste good. Pretty good. Not bad. Yep, yep. That's pretty good. Pretty good. And as you see, I learned my lesson well because, you know, that was rough punishment for me at 12 years old. Missing a meal. Breakfast was great, by the way. Be experimental. Use a different love language. Be teachable, men. Pride is your enemy. Humble people, they constantly learn. Ask for advice from good role models. That's why you should have a good pastor involved in your life. And that's why the Bible says he don't need to be twice married, three times married, four times married. Most everybody has a relationship problem. You can't go to your pastor if he don't know how to keep one together. I mean, come on now. I mean, how effective would my preaching be, and I'm in the closing, if you come into church and you see me and Jenny in a knockdown drag out, hollering, screaming at each other, and then I get up and I'm going to preach on relationships. This is what you need to do, and you're kind of like, <clears throat> yeah, but you didn't hear what I heard. <laughs> It'd make the preaching ineffective, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's why it's important who you're sitting under, who's building on your house. But you're going to need some advice from good role models, people who have good relationship, even off of Facebook. Man, I think that's a liar's den on there. Oh, I just love him so much. That's funny. I spent four hours with you in counseling how you hated him. <laughs> My soul. Have some endurance. These are the baby steps that's going to get you in line for this reset. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Your marriage is worth the investment. Men, you cannot control how people treat you, sometimes a spouse, but you can control how you treat people. And let me tell you something. Men, it is your job and my job when things go off the rails a little bit to reset that thing, and it will not respond in love if you don't create a loving environment. So you do your part right, because a woman is a responder, and then she will either die of shock or she'll come into submission and subjection. Why? Because her emotional needs are being met. The physical needs are being met. It's called a relationship reset. You control that thing in the home. Our men, our husbands are not doing their jobs. And you guess what? A woman will outwork a man every time, 10 to one. And so they jump up in that position and they try to make it work. But it'll always end in failure because God has already said it's the husband's responsibility. Men, it's your responsibility to do the relationship reset. Sometimes that means saying you're sorry first. Sweetheart, you need to learn how to view things through her eyes, her fears, her anxieties. I didn't say they were valid, but you need to at least be able to see it from her standpoint. And then create that environment 
of love. Learn how to be sacrificial. Deny yourself. And then have the endurance. Sometimes it's not a quick fix. You don't just turn the light bulb on, it's all fixed. All right, it's good. Sometimes it takes time. But this is a biblical remedy on how to do a relationship reset. And I threw in free of charge baby steps on how to get that started. Let's all stand this morning.